For me, the best way to really enjoy a great city is on foot. You know, I don't think I can think of a city that's better suited to be seen on foot than Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland. It's a great urban design. You got the old town filling a ridge, going from the castle on the top one mile down the Royal Mile to the palace. The walk is gently downhill. It's a montage of fascinating sights and wonderful historic architecture. And it's beautifully preserved. Sure, it's touristy, but it's an amazing experience. There's so much. That's just the beginning to see and do in Edinburgh. And we're joined by two Scottish tour guides who earn their living for many years now, taking individuals who are venturing into their city around the capital of Scotland. Helen Houston and Liz Lister, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. You are just blessed to be tour guides in a city as beautiful and interesting as Edinburgh, I've got to say. Helen, Uh, as a tour guide, what's the challenge? What do you want to accomplish when they come to your city? Oh, I think you've got to see, when you come to Edinburgh, you've got to see more than just all the people around. You've got to look up, see the buildings, and try to feel how it was. You go into the back alleys, go into the alleyways, and go round the back of the buildings. Most people stick to the Royal Mile. But if you've got the courage to go down some of the closes, a close is the way down to an enclosure where they used to keep the animals. So a close is like a little tiny alley or something, and because of the density of the architecture, a lot of times it's like a tunnel, isn't it? It's like a tunnel. If you look up, you'll see just how little daylight that people had in the medieval times, and just up until about the 17, 1800s. Now, Liz, when we think about this intensity of an urban environment in the centuries past, Edinburgh's nickname was Old Reeky. That's right. Old Reeky means Old Smoky or Old Smelly. A reek can be both smoke and smell. Glasgow had all the manufacturing, but Edinburgh was the capital and Edinburgh was the centre for trade. And so people would move into Edinburgh until it became more and more overcrowded. Because it's built with two gorges on either side, the only way that they could go was up. And so it became more overcrowded, more unsanitary. You had the spread of disease, Mm. you had dirt and squalor, and worst of all, fire, which could rip through between Mm. these very close buildings. And you had such dense population there that it drove the architecture up and consequently some of, you could say, some of the first skyscrapers were eight or or ten stories tall. Medieval Manhattan is one of the names that Edinburgh goes by. From a tourist point of view, I'm trying to always organize things so people are not overwhelmed and what's the easy, comfortable, fun way to experience this. And what I love is about a one-mile walk, gently downhill, from a castle to a palace. It's perfect. Let's take a walk from the top of Edinburgh on the rock down to the palace. And the castle is built up on the rock. On the very Helen. top. Well, the castle is built on the very top of the rock, on top of the crag. The feature is called a crag and tail feature. So the Royal Mile is actually going down the tail from the top of the rock. We'll walk down there, uh, leaving the castle esplanade at the moment. Then we'll go down, we'll pop into... Before we leave the castle, though, there's a couple of really cool things to see. You've got one of the most precious pieces of church architecture in Scotland there, an old Norman chapel. Yes, we've got St. Margaret Chapel, who, of course, Queen Margaret first met King Malcolm of Scotland in Dunfermline. And she came over and the chapel was built for her in the 12th century. So this is 900 years old. It's it's remarkable. And... uh, 
everybody gathers together to hear the shooting of the gun. The one o'clock gun, which, as everybody says, what time does it go off? It goes off at one o'clock. Not 12 o'clock. No, one o'clock. That would take 12 cannon fires, so too that many. would cost, cost too much. Yes. The Scots are good, yeah. uh, frugal people, so we'll set our clocks by the one o'clock gun the instead. The one o'clock gun, and as it goes off, people who live in Edinburgh check their watches. People who don't live in Edinburgh jump out of their skins. Before we leave the castle, i got to say there's a lot in the castle, but if you're a military history fan, the military museum in the castle... Absolutely. By contrast with other castles across Scotland, Edinburgh remains as it was when it was a garrison and a prison. Uh Um, So it has a lot more military tradition in it than others. So we have the National Museum of War which is inside the castle now. You might think Museum of War, ghastly, grisly. It tells it through the story of the people, mm-hmm. how they went to war, how it was the only way to take the king's shilling, was the only way to make money, and how you could only become an officer if you bought your own uniform, and only the rich could afford their uniforms. Liz, I love the way that that military museum humanizes the whole military story, mm-hmm. and Scotland's had more than its share of war, that's for sure. Now, Helen, we leave the castle... And the first thing we come upon on the right is a very commercial whiskey centre. Yes, the Scotch whiskey experience. Yeah. It's, and it's, that started life as a school. Was that right? Yes, it started life as a school and then it was taken over. It's a very good experience. It's not a distillery, but it takes you through the process. You sit in a barrel and you go around in a little train and it tells you the story of how whiskey is made. Some people call it Malt Disney. It's such a, it's such a, like you get on this ride and you sit there. It's kind of family friendly. But you, you get to know how they make the whiskey. And at the end, of course. And you get a wee taste at the end. And it has one of the biggest collections of Scotch whiskey anywhere. Now, Liz, the next site that I'd want to stop at would be a museum that celebrates the, the literary heroes. Well, if you think of the Royal Mile and wandering down the Royal Mile... I would always liken it to taking the, the bones out of a fish. You've got the long backbone, and then coming off it, you've got all the little herring bones. Mm-hmm. And those herring bones are these little closes and winds and paths that lead through from one area to the next. Mm-hmm. It's lovely just to wander up them and get all the surprises of what you find within them. And if you've got one called Lady Stairs Close, then you'll find an old townhouse where the rich residents of the city of Edinburgh once lived, now converted into the Writers' Museum, celebrating the life of three of our major authors, Robert Burns, Sir Walter Scott and Robert Louis Stevenson. And it's free, which is always music to a Scotsman's ears. It's free. It's free, and it's a chance to celebrate Scottish literature. And Helen, when I step in there, I can almost imagine Robbie Burns reciting poetry to high society. Oh, yes. Because it's an elegant Mm. um, mansion now turned into a museum. Try to capture that moment, because I've got this idea of Robbie Burns celebrating Scottish traditions to the really elegant high society. The rooms are small and it's got balconies, you like a library. Yeah. And you can just imagine up there, him up there maybe reciting to a mouse. We sleek at coor and timorous beastie, oh what a panic's in thy breastie, that thou should start a wassy hasty with bicker and brattle. I would be raithering and chasey with murder and battle. What on earth did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the thing about Robert Burns was he would speak in Old Scots, which that was, and then the next verse is in English. So this would I'm, help. This yes, would be I'm this truly thing. sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union that makes thee startle at me, thy poor earthborn companion and fellow mortal. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're joined by two wonderful Scottish guides who can share with us their pride, their rich heritage, as we visit the capital city of Edinburgh. Our guests are Helen Houston and Liz Lister.
Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Steve's calling from Montgomery in Texas. Steve, have you been thinking about Scotland? Absolutely, and I've been enjoying listening to you talk. My wife and I are going to be going to Edinburgh. We have a castle tour already planned and uh, a Scottish Highlands tour day trip planned. But we have two afternoons that are not planned. I want to know what your guides want us to do in those two afternoons. What is the main thing that you would really want us to experience about Edinburgh? Well, that's a very good question. We'll start with Liz. If, if somebody's coming into, how many days do you have all together, Steve? going to be there for three days, three and a half days. Three days. You're doing a lot of the predictable stuff. Liz, what's one thing that, that Steve should be sure to make time for? Well, we've been talking about the old town of Edinburgh, which is a world UNESCO World Heritage Site, but we also have some of the finest neoclassical architecture, the new town, the Georgian new town. So a walk along the new town, built because they were so sick of the dirt and squalor that they wanted space and elegance and uh, grandeur. And so wandering around that, perhaps ending up at the Georgian House, which not only shows the outside of the building, but also what it was like to live inside these grand residences. So so the Georgian House, remember, there was a series of King Georges, and uh, when America was fighting its revolution, the colonies were all upset about King George. So this is about uh, that period, you know, 200, 250 years ago, and that was neoclassicism. And when you have the neoclassicism in Paris, in England, it was called Georgian, and Edinburgh was one of the first planned cities from the Georgian era. They have grid-planned streets named after Georgian kings and queens, and, and this Georgian house lets you see a slice of life from that day. And King George was making sure that after the defeat of the Jacobites at Culloden, which you'll probably hear about on your trip up into the mm-hmm. Highlands, there was political stability for the first time, there was economic growth, and he was making sure that everybody knew he was in charge, putting his name on the squares, his wife's name, Queen Charlotte Square, his two sons, the princes, Princess Street. He was making sure everybody knew all about it. So you're going to spend some time in the Georgian town across the valley, kind of, from the old town. And Helen, what's what would you recommend that uh, Steve and his family are sure to do? Right, well, well, Steve, I would suggest that if you just took a bus ride out of Edinburgh, about you know, 40 minutes on the bus, to Roslyn Chapel. Now, Roslyn Chapel is a beautiful little chapel. In recent years, more known because of it comes into the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, but it actually was built in 1446. And round the, the windows of the chapel, you'll find images of plants that at that time were only found in the, what we now know as the Americas. And we all know that it was 1492 that Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But in 1446, they were carving plants from America in Roslyn Chapel. Maize, corn, that kind of thing. What, 50 years before Columbus? Before Columbus, showing oh. that the Vikings were there and there were Scots. The prince of the Vikings was a Sinclair from Roslyn Chapel. Wow. Steve, I'd recommend also uh, the Britannia, the Queen's uh, ship oh, yes. still moored. Absolutely. It's an ideal one to do because it's an audio tour, so you can progress at your own right pace. And people would think that the Queen, the royal family of the United Kingdom, would live in great luxury. Yeah. It's the austerity which really hits you. Everything of the highest quality, but the personal nature of it, the photographs, mm-hmm and the stories that it tells of how the prince and princesses would play with the yachties, who were the yachtsmen of the Royal Yacht, the Royal Navy, who were each given a responsibility in looking after them. It's a bit of a side trip, but it's well worth the time, and it, I think it's just a beautiful sight, and it's, it gives you a sense of uh, getting out of the centre of Edinburgh as well. Hey, thanks for your call, Steve. 
Thank you so much. And Dusty's calling from Lakemont in Georgia. Uh, what, what is um, a fun memory you have from your time in Edinburgh? One of the things that was the most heartwarming was a, a statue and a grave site that's called Greyfriars Bobby. It's just off the Royal Mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you branch off to the right there going towards the uh, the old chapel that built in 1600, and there's a statue of a dog that you'll see out in the middle of a square. And it, it's kind of odd because normally you don't see a statue to a dog. and It's kind of polished in certain places uh, where people have rubbed it. And this dog, uh, the story that goes with it, he was the dog of a policeman. And he was so faithful, the policeman finally died of old age, and the dog came and visited the grave every day until the dog actually died and stood watch uh, at the grave there in the chapel. So this and, and is, it's a wonderful story. And this yeah. is called the Greyfriars Bobby. Liz, who's the Greyfriar? Who's the Bobby? Right, Greyfriars is the church, the church of the Greyfriars, the Grey Habits. Okay. The, the Jock Grey was buried there. And the story goes that for 14 years, Bobby tended his grave at one o'clock. The one o'clock gun would go off. And just as he had done when Jock was alive, he'd go down to the pie shop and get a bone and a bowl of water. Now, the cynics amongst us, I hate to to create a cynicism here. (laughs) Oh, no. The cynics would say that 14 years plus is actually quite a long time for a little Sky Terrier. But business was good because all these people were coming, visiting the grave and looking to see. It was Victorian times. They valued... The the Scottish Terrier did go then, so that's good. It just wasn't maybe 14 years. No, but perhaps business was so good in the pubs and the hotels and the restaurants that Bobby Mark II, as we would say in Scotland, (laughs) popped his clogs. He went to that great kennel in the sky and he brought in a lookalike Bobby so that it would keep the business turning over. Oh, Scottish ingenuity. (laughs) (laughs) That's for the cynics. Dusty, thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Take care. Scottish tour guides Helen Houston and Liz Lister are taking us to the walkable sites of their grand old capital, Edinburgh, right now on Travel with Rick Steves. We've talked about the Georgian city on the other side. That's the new city. We've walked halfway down the Royal Mile. And when we finish off, we'll drop by St. Giles Church. Liz, what's the importance of St. Giles? St. Giles, they reckon that there's been a church there since the 6th century. And in a borough, which was what the settlement was called, which is why it gets the name Edinburgh, there was a church, a market cross, and a toll booth to collect the tolls. And you'll see all of that and right there. And you'll see there. all of that in the vicinity of the church. But the church itself is the High Church of Scotland, and it's a magnificent building to go and visit. And if you're into Reformation history, John Knox preached mm. here. And in fact, he's buried uh, in the parking lot. He is. Uh, John Knox preached fire and brimstone from the pulpit of St. Giles. He was a man who wanted simplicity after the elaborate nature of the Catholic Church. He wanted everything to be very plain and simple. So it's perhaps fitting that he's now in a plain and simple grave underneath parking lot 23 years (laughs) (laughs) where the previous graveyard is now a car park. And what is the the Protestant denomination we associate with John Knox? Presbyterian. Presbyterian. So that would be that sort of austerity. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a major difference in Protestant in Scotland and England. In Scotland, Mm -hmm. it was from the people up and uh-huh. so although there was great destruction through the Reformation with the destruction of the idols and the stained glass windows, out of it came the flowering of education because every parish or churchy region had a school. And so we had 70% literacy in the 17th century, which was why Scots could go all over the world because they could find employment. And Helen, at the very bottom of the Royal Mile, you come to a palace, the Holyrood Palace. 
How is that near and dear to the patriotic souls of the Scottish people? Well, the Palace of Holyrood House grew up out of the Augustinian Abbey down there. Uh And for Scots, um, the Augustinian Abbey or the Abbey was started by Queen Margaret in the sort of 11th century and then created as an abbey in the 12th century. But it is the home, the official residence of the Queen when she comes to Scotland. Mm-hmm. So people know the Queen in Balmoral, which is further north, but that is her own private residence. The Palace of Holyrood House is the Queen's official residence. And you can generally tour that if the Queen's you can not tour in residence. That. You can tour that if the Queen's not in residence mm-hmm. and they also have a very good audio guide to go around. Very important for the Holyrood Palace. And if you're not a royalist, across the street <laughs> is an impressive new building. London gave you Scottish people the opportunity to build your own Parliament building. We did. Highly controversial. And when Scotland was eventually given the power, increased devolution to actually have our own Scottish Parliament, they discussed at length where it was going to be situated and eventually it was built on the site of an old brewery. And initially, it was expected to cost £60 million and it actually ended up costing £440 million. So they kind of went over budget and it's highly controversial. Um, if you visit Glasgow, um, you might hear of Charles Rennie Mackintosh. So a lot of his imagery is used in the Parliament. Enrique Morales was a Catalan architect who wanted it to grow out of the land because it's such an iconic position that it sits in. So he used Scottish stone, Scottish wood, Scottish materials, and he used Charles Rennie Mackintosh motifs. And it's a celebration of Scottish independent spirit, Scottish pride, completely made from Scottish materials, and it's open to the public and wonderful tours to get an insight into what's going on politically in Scotland today. Helen Houston, Liz Lister, thank you so much for giving us a better understanding of your beautiful city, Edinburgh. Thank you. Thank you. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.